going to read uh, the word this morning, and this is uh, what Jen will be speaking out of. So this comes um, from Second uh, Samuel 15. First, Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid themselves as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them, put death to men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havalah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and with his, all his people, he totally destroyed the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and the lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What is then this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites, and they spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And he sent you on a mission saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me, and I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took the sheep and the cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Good morning. That is a sobering scripture, and this is going to be a sobering sermon, but I thought we would start off a little bit lighter and do something fun. So they do this in Sunday school, right? Pop quizzes? 
We have a pop quiz today, and you have to participate. Okay, so uh, the first person able to stand up and answer the question that I will ask is going to win a prize. A prize. Hannah, or shall we maybe call her Vanna today, is going to show you what you can win. Hannah, show the items, please. Well, thank you, Jen. Here we have a lovely, delicious chocolate bar for you. Maybe wait until Jen's done preaching to eat it. Uh, the second thing is the book The Air I Breathe by Louis Giglio, which is a title that should be familiar to you if you were in a small group this season. Thank you, Hannah. Yes, that's correct. I'm going to be quoting from that book in my sermon. And uh, in case you're not really a reader, the chocolate is to sweeten the deal so you can eat the chocolate while you're reading this awesome book. Um, so I'm going to, Hannah's going to bring the mic to you. Okay, so I'm going to ask the question. The first person to stand up gets to answer the question into the mic. And if it is correct, then they receive the prize. Okay, are we ready? All right, this is your pop quiz. What did Jesus say was the greatest commandment? We'll go with Marie. She's got her hand up. Yep. Go for it. What's the greatest commandment, Marie? Okay, that's the second part of it. How does it start? Let's someone want to help Marie? Oh, up there. Well, we've got a young young lady ready to help us. I'm coming, Mia. Greatest commandment. So many sinners. <laughs> it's the microphone pressure it's the microphone yes let's give it to her love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul and with all your strength thank you okay so jesus didn't make those words up out of his head on the spur of the moment when he was asked that question jesus was quoting from the bible from the book of deuteronomy in the law he chose out of that law what he thought were the well, what he knew was the greatest commandment. And so I'm going to read that commandment in its context in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 to 9 says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So in the law, in Deuteronomy, there is a lot of specific directions. There are directions about the priests and for how the Israelites were to worship God. Directions for uh, the sacrifices and the temple. But what God most wanted was their love and their devotion not just for a couple of hours a week when they would go worship at the temple, but every single day. Their love for God was supposed to shine through in everything that they did, every part of their life. And so we see that in the verses that follow this greatest commandment, that the love that they have for God should be evident in their parenting, in their conversations at home, when they're out traveling, when they're resting, when they get up in the morning. All of these times they were to be showing their love for God. They were to love him so much that they couldn't help thinking about him and talking about him all the time. 
And now I've read or heard that greatest commandment literally thousands of times in my life. I've known these verses since I was a little girl, but something hit me afresh this week in this greatest commandment, and it's just one little word. It's repeated three times, and it's that little word, all. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Usually when we hear this, we focus in on the word love. That's important. Or we look at the words heart, soul, strength, and we compare what are the differences between those and how do I love God with my strength versus with my, with my soul. But today I just want us to listen to that little word all. Jesus wants it all. He deserves it all. And so this is a quote from the book that we just gave away. Um, and so this is what Louis Giglio writes in here. God has given us life and breath and all things. The only fitting response to all he has done is to give back to him all that we are. Anything less is not enough. Anything less is not true worship. Anything less only proves that we haven't really seen him at all. Take, for instance, his mercy and grace. We deserved death, but received life. God's grace and mercy are really just that simple. So how do we respond to the cross of Christ? With a Sunday visit to church, by dropping two bucks in the offering plate, singing a few verses of a chorus we love, by lifting our hands, wearing a cross, owning a Bible, showing up for a small group a few times a month? No way. The only right response to such mercy and grace is our everything, all our time, all our decisions, and everything we say and are. I hope that whets your appetite a little bit for that book. It's in our library, by the way, and I have more copies in my office if you want to buy one. It's a very good book about worship. But now this should be obvious. I don't, I don't think it is obvious, but it should be. If I give everything to Jesus, then there won't be anything left for me, will there? Because it's all his. That's what it should mean to be a Christian. So then it doesn't matter anymore what I feel like doing, what makes me comfortable, what I personally want to get out of life. I don't get to do what I want because my desires and my longings and my happiness are not what's most important. I don't own myself anymore. He owns me. So it's his desires and longings and happiness that drive me in everything that I do. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, it says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Does that feel uncomfortable? Feels, I'm uncomfortable with it. I feel like I'm my own. So I'm sure you're uncomfortable too. This is where something inside of us sort of stands up and rebels. We have this very strong sense of entitlement to our own happiness and fulfillment. Our instincts say, I need to be safe. I need to be comfortable. I am free to do whatever I want. I deserve to experience all of the good things that life has to offer. And Jesus loves me, so he wants me to be happy, right? Our culture reinforces these ideas in every possible way, telling us to worship 
ourselves. Follow your dreams, they say. You have to prioritize your own needs. Self-love and self-care are what's most important. Jesus' call is terrifying to give him everything, to love him with all that we are, then we're going to have no guarantee that he's going to make our wants and needs a priority. In fact, we know he won't because he's got a bigger picture in mind. So as Christians in this culture, hearing these messages to, to love ourselves more than anything else, our unspoken attitude is often like this. We think, I love Jesus, I'm thankful for his forgiveness, so I will give some of my time to worship and serve him, within reasonable limits, of course. Just however much I think that I can spare once all my other priorities are handled. Maybe I'll even give some money if I have some left at the end of the month. But if Jesus asks me to do something I don't like or give up something that I want, I don't really have to do it. Or I can just put it off for a while because I'm a good enough Christian. I've already done a lot. There's no need to get obsessive about it. We're deceiving ourselves when we think like this. That's the reasoning of our flesh. It's not the voice of God. When we try to protect ourselves and keep some part of our life free from God's control, it means we haven't really understood what it means to be a disciple. As a disciple, we're commanded to give all of our heart to Jesus, to give him our life and commit to following him. Jesus never said it was okay to follow him in our spare time. He never said we could just add a little portion of him to our life. It's all or nothing with him. We belong to him or we belong to ourselves. We are fully obedient or we're disobedient. We're for him or we're against him. There's no room in scripture for a disciple who only follows Jesus when they feel like it and when it's easy. So now we're going to come to the story of King Saul that Hannah read for us earlier. Here's a story of someone who deceived himself into thinking he was doing what God wanted. He thought it was good enough. He thought he could just do most of what God asked of him and that there had to be a little bit of wiggle room in God's commands. He had really good reasons to change God's orders slightly, so surely God would see that his way made more sense. Right? We read that God commanded Saul, these were his words, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them, put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Those were his exact words. And what did Saul do? It tells us in 1 Samuel 7, then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur. He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and all the people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed. So God sent the prophet Samuel to confront Saul about this. But Saul had no idea he had done anything wrong. I really don't think he was lying when he greets Samuel and he says, The Lord bless you. I've carried out the Lord's instructions. The author Mark Buchanan has written this. 
One of the worst manifestations of pride is self-deceit. Self-deceit is the unwillingness, even the inability, to face our own evil. And if we do face it, we can't accept the real reasons for it. Instead, we have a large repertoire of lies to tell ourselves to ease our consciences, to save face, to explain away. We are good at lying to ourselves. Isn't that true? So Saul was genuinely pleased with himself. God told him to attack and kill the Amalekites, and he did. He took a huge risk for God. He put himself and his whole army in danger. He suffered the fear and the exhaustion of battle. He worked hard, and he came out victorious. Mission complete. So he's patting himself on the back. But here comes Samuel saying that he didn't obey. What a nitpicker, right? So sarcastic. What's this bleating of sheep in my ears, Saul? And then in verse 19, he says it more directly. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Now that seems a bit extreme, doesn't it? He didn't do evil. He just made a few very minor adjustments to the plan. So Saul defends himself. But I did obey the Lord, he says. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. I've got righteous reasons, right? Logical reasons. What does it matter if I kill the king or just make him my prisoner? He's not a king now anymore. He's got no people left. Why should I kill all these healthy animals on the field of battle and waste these perfectly good sacrifices? They'll just they'll die anyways, just not right now. So what difference does it make? I do admit I have sympathy for Saul in this story because I like orders that make sense, right? God commanded him to do something that didn't make sense to him, but he did still obey 90% of God's instructions. By human standards, he got an A. He succeeded. The problem that God is that God's standards are a little different. When it comes to obeying God, partial obedience is not obedience. He wants our full trust, our full surrender, our immediate and complete obedience has to be 100%. I just want to make a short side note here. I know that some of you are stewing over the fact that God's command here was so horrifying. It is especially offensive to hear in this day and age where we have no concept of tribal warfare and national gods and this whole thing sounds brutal and unfair and cruel. Why destroy everyone and everything, including the innocent children and the animals? I don't know. It doesn't sound like the command of a loving God, so I don't like it either. I'm with you. But for today, I want us to put that tension aside. I'm not going to try and defend God, because right now I want us to simply focus on this issue of complete obedience and surrender. So we're letting the Bible judge us today. We're not judging the Bible. Okay, so this was Samuel's response then to Saul's excuses. Samuel says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? 
To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. See, we don't, we don't get to pick and choose what we are going to give to God. He tells us what he wants, and then we obey. We have it backwards so often. We think, I love God, so I'll give him this. This particular amount of time, or this particular amount of money, or this service, or this amount of Bible reading. Is that what he asked for? He wants something deeper. He wants something more precious than those sacrifices. He wants our whole self, every minute of every day, every thought, all of our heart, soul, and strength. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. He wants it all, not just some. And he wants us to ask him what he wants us to do and then do it. And we have to trust in his goodness so completely that we'll do exactly what he says every single time because we will know that he knows best. Whatever he says to do will be good for us and it will contribute to his plan and his kingdom on earth no matter how hard it is. And the most ironic thing in this story is that if Saul had just trusted and obeyed God the way that he should have, he would have got to continue on in his role as a respected king, which was the very thing that he desperately wanted and eventually went insane trying to hang on to. He would have got what he wanted if he had followed God, if he had obeyed. So God isn't out to make us miserable. He's not trying to take away our dreams and deny us everything we want and desire out of life. You know, our, our wants and needs are not his top priority, but he does very graciously take them into account. If he asks us to sacrifice something, it's because he wants to give us something better in its place. Something better than what we think we need. And when we give everything to him and keep nothing for ourselves, then we don't have to be afraid because he will provide all that we need and so much more than that. He promises us in the Psalms, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That means when we are delighting in him, when we're loving him with all our heart, soul, and strength, then our desires are actually going to change. What we want is going to be what he wants. We're going to hunger and thirst for righteousness and be filled. We're going to want to be the instruments of his love and mercy to others. We're going to be filled with joy when he actually shines through us. We're going to want him more than we want our own comfort and safety and ease. We might actually pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not just because we're supposed to, but because we actually mean it. We often say, thy will be done, but then we don't obey his will even when we know what it is. We think we know better, just like Saul. We're torn between doing what God asks and doing what seems good to us, what seems logical and right and reasonable or easiest. One Bible commentary about King Saul says this, to know God's will and deliberately disobey it is to put ourselves above God and therefore become our own God. This is the vilest form of idolatry. I'm going to read that one more time. You can write it down if you want. 
To know God's will and deliberately disobey it is to put ourselves above God and therefore become our own God. This is the vilest form of idolatry. Those of us in this room, we're in trouble because we know God's will. And I've done this before. I will confess it. I have put my will above God's commands before. I have been an idolater even while patting myself on the back for following Jesus. And I know you have too. You might think, Jennifer, you're, you're being too harsh. I'm doing the best I can, and I love Jesus, so I'm not an idolater, even if I'm not perfect. Unfortunately, I think we're all idolaters from time to time, every single one of us, and it's only the blood of Jesus Christ that keeps us from being rejected the way that King Saul was. How can I say that? Well, this is where it gets really tough and personal today. I can say this because I am certain that we are ignoring or justifying our own sin, just like King Saul. That we are self-deceived in some ways. We don't even notice our sin anymore. For example, I am certain that in this room today, there's more than one person with an addiction to pornography, with no plans to get help, even though they know that Jesus forbids lust in our hearts. I am certain that there are those who are refusing to forgive a friend or a family member even though they would still earnestly pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I'm certain there are people who are jealous of someone else's job or their home or their family or their vacation, even though they know the commandment, do not covet. There are some who've never told someone else what God has done in their life, even though they know. Jesus' last words were to go and make disciples. And then there's those of you feeling relieved that none of those things apply to you. And you think you're better than others even though you know God said, I hate pride and arrogance. Now my point is not that we're sinners. That's a given. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We can all be forgiven because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And we're going to celebrate that at communion in a few moments. But my point, if I can get through it, <laughs> my point is that even though we know God's commands, we can even stand up and quote them. We're excusing and accommodating our sins, just like Saul. The things that we've done and the things that we haven't done. We know very well that we aren't following God 100%. And instead of repenting and confessing and being broken over that, we are stubbornly choosing not to deal with some area of disobedience. We've pushed it aside, we've claimed good enough, and we've continued on. We're satisfied with giving God only 20% or 50% or 70% of our hearts and our soul and our strength. 
And we would say that we're being obedient. White Rock Baptist Church, this is why we need revival. Can I get an amen? We need revival. Only the Holy Spirit of God can help us see our sin and give us a desperate desire for a new heart. In Ezekiel chapter 11, God promised, I will give them an undivided heart, a 100% heart, and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. I think we've let our hearts get stony again. I think our consciences aren't bothering us anymore. We think we're fine. We think we're successful as disciples. And we've grieved the Holy Spirit with that hypocrisy. We need revival, but we, it won't come until we know we need it. So, this next song is an opportunity for you to surrender yourself once again, or maybe for the first time, to God's full control over your life. 100%. It's a time to repent of your sin and make a fresh start. Asking the Holy Spirit to empower you to rip out those weeds that you've allowed to grow in your life. Those weeds, Jesus said in the the parable of the soil. Do you remember this? Those weeds are going to choke out the gospel in our lives if we don't get rid of them. We won't be fruitful. So whether it's something that you are doing and you know you need to stop, or something that you're not doing and you know you need to do it, either way, this is your moment to make a change and to make that commitment. And I would just warn you, if you don't want to surrender the thing or obey what God is telling you, don't sing this song then. Another quote from that book that I gave away today is that sometimes it would be better to stay silent than to lie to God's face. Don't sing it if you don't mean it. Ferris, would you come please and lead us in this next song?